Hello and welcome. It is episode 86 of the Saints FC podcast. Uh, it's me, John Bailey. I'm your host once again, as always. And uh, on the line tonight, I've substituted out Tom Parker and I've brought on my fifth substitute of the lockdown period. It's Carl Anker from The Athletic. Welcome back, Carl. It's an absolute pleasure to have you back on the podcast. Hello. It's good to be back. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> We've, uh, you know, I've I've been missing seeing you at the stadium, meeting outside, you know, having a little wave at um, a Ted Bates statue and having a chat and listening to the Saints brass. But you know, we're here. We can we can have a chance to have a quick chat now, Carl. Well, you know, maybe even a bit more than a quick chat. We'll go into some some depth on the Saints. Um, but but you have been back to St Mary's, and we're going to get onto that because I think that's going to be an interesting. Uh, thing to talk about for our listeners um, and we're going to cover off uh, Arsenal and we're going to cover uh, Watford and some listener questions and maybe a quick look to the future as well. Carl, many of my listeners will already be familiar with you and your writing um, but uh, just as a reminder and a, a good chance for you to do the little shout out for your employer, uh, you're a journalist for The Athletic. Please tell us what you do for The Athletic and how people can find out and, and re, you know, if they like what they hear today, where can they see more of you? Yeah, you can find me on The Athletic, uh, or The Athletic UK. So as part of The Athletic's wide-ranging sports coverage, they include uh, NFL, NBA, MLB, uh, college basketball and college football. And part of that now, they cover the Premier League and five clubs in the championship, as well as La Liga, the Bundesliga, and the old firm clubs in Scotland. Um, so as part of the FX offering, the whole thing is every Premier League club has at least one dedicated journalist, sometimes two, that cover their club and try and work uh, top to bottom, not only going to as many games as possible, but also talking about the women's team, talking about the youth team, talking about stuff on the business side, contracts, um, sponsorship stuff, um, nostalgia pieces. Uh, and, and hello, I'm, I'm your Southampton person. If if you we managed to get to this far in the season and you you don't know that I cover Southampton, well done. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been writing about Southampton now for it will be a year in uh, July next month, basically. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a very interesting season. I didn't expect to cover certain match results, and I didn't expect to spend a hundred days writing about Southampton when there was no Southampton games being played. But um, we're almost done. Yeah. Let's see what happens next. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I, and just uh, for, for the listeners, um, for those of you that haven't tried tried out the athletic subscription, come on, Saints fans. You know what a pain in it, it is when you pick up one of the broadsheet newspapers or look on their websites and you read a match report and it's all about the opposition and nothing about Saints. 
it's the absolute opposite with Carl. It's like two, three really good articles per week and uh, well worth the money. I can't remember how much I paid at the start of the season, but you always seem to have a good offer on. And I imagine you've probably got some on at the moment. Um, and so just, yeah, do it. Check it out. It's good. Um, right. <laughs> there we go. That's the business part out of the way. Carl, how's your lockdown been? I mean, this is something I asked Tom when we reconvened after a few weeks of, of being off. And, you know, I'm interested. How's it been for you? Because you're not from Southampton. You moved from London to Southampton. And, you know, that, that must have been quite different, I think, for you, for someone who's relatively new in the city. Yeah, so I did I did lockdown in Southampton. I did lockdown alone. So I, I lived, I decided to get a, a, a solo living situation when I moved down. Must turn one of the bedrooms into a, a home office, as it were. I've just sort of been, you know, I stay in my four walls and uh, I type nine to five as well as I can. I make a loaf of banana bread. I go to the shop. I come back. I'm very much, I, I wear a mask outdoors at all times. I don't wear gloves because I can't find anyone that does gloves at the moment. I'm currently having a problem right now where I wear glasses. So wearing a mask and glasses, my glasses are always fogging up. And that's sort of my life right now. I sort of, I read, I read a book about every two weeks. Um, I wrote throughout the entire lockdown. I had some really interesting well, I think interesting uh, deep dives in Southampton history. So I was properly getting myself acquainted. I really read up on the Great Escape season, and I'm quite, you know, I'm still confused by it, even though I read about it and I talked to Pahas and I talked to Lapizia and just sort of how on earth did you survive relegation that season? Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's in my lockdown. Just watching a lot, of, watching a lot of films, uh, baking loads of loaves of banana bread, uh, reading a lot of books, and spending far more too much time watching SB Nation clips on uh, YouTube. Okay, so there's three obvious questions that come out from that for me, Carl. One, what's been the best book you've read in lockdown? Two, the best film. And three, the most intriguing thing that you discovered about Southampton during these deep dives where you didn't actually have any Southampton football to watch and you had to kind of delve into history. Oh, uh, the best book I've read is one called, it's just called Basketball. And it's just a historical deep dive through the years of basketball from people including Phil Jackson uh, and other and Pat Riley and, and little clips of Michael Jordan as well. So if any anyone listened to this, um, just like gobbling up the last dance, um, there's loads of really good basketball literature out there because quite a few of the coaches have written books themselves or have very very good biographers. Phil Jackson has had some especially good books written either from him or about him that I, I would hardly recommend. There's a really good book called Dream Team that's just about the Dream Team, you know, United States um, Olympic team that goes to the Barcelona Olympics in 1992 that I recommend because it's just got the most wonderful retellings of um, the practices they had, the training practices they had, where you've got some of the greatest, you know, at least five of the greatest basketball players of all time just training together, popping jokes, and then going home and drinking. Um, so I'd recommend that book. The best film I've watched, um, the Five Bloods is on Netflix right now. Spike Lee's new movie. Two and a half hours long, but don't let it dissuade you. It's uh, one part uh, Vietnam War film, one part like heist movie to 15 parts historical deep dive. And he's got um, one of the best performances I've seen in a film basically in four or five years 
from uh, Delroy Lindo, I want to say. I will double-check that name right now. Um, uh, the magic of podcasting lets me know that it is done by... Is... Yes, Delroy Lindo. I got it right go. first time. You should never have doubted yourself. This is like in a pub quiz. Go with your instincts. Your gut oh, quite often tells you the right answer. Far too many Zoom pub quizzes. I'm going I'm to ban <clears throat> Zoom pub quizzes now. No more. It's, it's funny. No. We, we had a real crescendo at the weekend. So um, uh, my basically my family, we all kind of grew up. Well, my brother, my sister um, grew up in Bath, which is very close to Glastonbury. We've been going to Glastonbury Festival since I was 12 and my sister was eight or whatever. And... Um, we did a Glastonbury-themed pub quiz uh, this weekend, and it was the the last one because my brother's like, "Look, now lockdown's easing. We've got social events now. We can't be doing these these Zoom pub quizzes anymore." So, we went out with a bang. Um, my wife and I dressed up as the White Stripes. Sophie's Ooh. mum dressed up as Dolly Parton. It was quite fantastic. Pair of balloons for breasts. Um, <laughs> you know, it. My brother and his uh, his girlfriend were Noel and Liam Gallagher. That looked pretty good. So you know, I think that was the that was the final way to end that that pub quiz, and it was, it was quite a good way to do it. <laughs> good. It, it good. is weird though, isn't it? Because that was so much fun. I remember the first week of lockdown, and now it's kind of like, uh, are we doing this again now? I did everything. I got house party. I was doing Zoom pub quizzes. There was a point in time where my social life was probably better in lockdown because <laughs> obviously, when there's no football, and I you know I got the sort of Saturday, Sunday off and was working Monday, Friday. And I had the nine to five, a more regular working routine. Yeah. Whereas during the season, you know, on a Saturday, on a Saturday, I'm off on a train normally or like St. Mary's or whatnot. Um, so I just had a little bit more time to spend with family and friends on Zoom. And then I, I got maybe two or three weeks in. I, you know what? I'm sick of your faces. I don't <laughs> want to talk to you anymore. There's a reason why I ran away from London. <laughs> no, uh, I, I love them. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, but you know, family are there to having having doses, aren't they, at particular times, right? Yeah. You, know, you do a stint at Christmas, and then you're like, "All right, that's good. We're not going to see you again for a few months." Um. So yeah, the last question was, "What what did you discover about Southampton that you didn't know before that that really intrigued you, Carl?" Um. So the Great Escape season is one that just makes no sense to me. You're not supposed to lose that many games in one season and not get relegated. You're not supposed to only pop out of the relegation zone for, I think, six weeks and not get relegated. Uh, I had a really good interview with uh, Marion Farr, uh, and he, he, I sort of learned a lot about the Lithuanian league and Lithuanian football through talking to him and learning how that league works and learning about um, that idea that you can be the greatest ever player from your country in their history. Yeah. That's now a- what? That that doesn't seem like I'm, you know, that's that's probably not too far, is it, for Marion Pahas? It it I think he's I think he's definitely up there. If you wanna, there there are some conversations with um, when Latvia count as part of the former USSR. Am I getting that right? Possibly. Yeah. Um, but as, in terms of as as we know it, you know, Pahas is, is he's top five for sure. Um, so I had a very good conversation with him. He taught me a lot about. Uh, this team called Skonto or Skonto Riga mm-hmm. uh, and and how they won I want to say 18 titles in a row they they currently have the record for, of, of the most consecutive league titles ever won in a row 
Um, and that was a great conversation I had with him. Uh, I just sort of had a deep dive through the history of Southampton. I, you know, I did a whole history of Gareth Bale where I talked to some of his oldest coaches when he was uh, around like 12 years of age. So I was learning a lot about that. Uh, I had a wild goose chase where I tried to figure out if Southampton Football Club ever had a motto or a Latin motto. Mm. Um, and the answer is no. <laughs> Even though, uh, well, recently, more recently, Ralph Kruger tried making potential into excellence, one of uh, like, uh, a motto for American audiences, which I found interesting. Uh, I hunted down a 2015 documentary called The Southampton Way. So this was made by yeah. I saw uh, you refer to that. Blazes. I've I've never yeah. I've never heard of that. I've never seen it. Carl, can you dig us out a link for that? Uh, so this has only ever been aired on American audiences. Right. So this is this is this was made by Men in Blazers, um, two British gentlemen who now live in the United States and and basically help front NBC Soccer's um, coverage. Um, and if you go onto YouTube now, you can type in NBC and a football club. NBC on YouTube have done quite nice. 10-minute documentaries that profile um, clubs new to the Premier League. So there's one on Norwich, there's one on Sheffield United, and there's one on Aston Villa that sort of go, this is what this club is about. This is why they're going to be in the Premier League. Um, this is what they're going to offer in the Premier League. So that's what they've done for this season. But in 2015, um, so this is Koeman's second season. Mm. I want to say it's Koeman's second. 2015 is Koeman's second season or is it his first? It depends which part of 2015 you're in, I think. Okay. Um it's done in January 2015, so this is part way through Cummins. So that's Cummins. Uh, so 2015-16, when Leicester won the title, was Cummins' second season. So, so this is part way through Cummins' first season. Yeah. So this, this documentary is made part way through Cummins' first season, um, and it's part is done by NBC to basically go, oh my god, look at Southampton. Southampton are at the time they were in Champions League spaces. I believe they were fourth, um, and it was just basically it. It's the presenter meets Ralph Kruger. He talks to Les Reed. He has a conversation about the black box. Uh, Kitman Forbesy is there, uh, and there's a little bit where Kitman Forbesy talks about how, like, how the washing machines work at Staplewood, and how he, you know, you can get the bacteria levels on the kits down to basically 99. Point, you know, you can kill off 99.9999 percent, and why it's so important. Uh, there's a long bit about the academy, and it shows off two academy players that I don't believe ever made it to Southampton's first team, unfortunately. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's a pretty wide-ranging 45-minute documentary. There's a little bit from Matt Letizia and Gareth Bale and Theo Walker and Oxley chamberlain It talks all about the youth, uh, and it talks about how Southampton are defying the odds. And right at the end, um, the interviewer asked Marv Kruger, could Southampton one day be a Champions League club? Could it, could it be a European club? Could it maintain Europa League? And Kruger is very much like, yeah, absolutely. There will be some bumps along the way, but the plan is in the next five years, some will be in the Europa League spaces. And I'm watching it in 2015 going, oh. Um, mm. it, it's an interesting documentary. Uh, some of the things they're saying are like bang on, and they absolutely understand the heart and soul of Southampton. Sometimes it's a little bit too cute, and, and, and it tries to pretend that Southampton is the only club in the Premier League that does certain things, particularly at the academy level. But this documentary was was really influential on, on American soccer fans. So I did a piece last week um, talking to American Southampton fans. I asked a bunch of them, um, why do you support Southampton? Did you know Southampton weren't 
title contending team when you first supported them, who was your first love, uh, when you started supporting Southampton, and two or three of them brought up this documentary and said, when they were around about time getting into soccer, so you're talking to an American soccer fan who, after the 2014 World Cup, when the United States get knocked out in the last 16 to Belgium, you know, Tim Howard has that amazing game. Like, oh, I want to get into soccer a bit more. What's a good team to follow? I don't want to be a glory hunter and follow the traditional top six teams. What's a good side? Oh, look, Southampton. And it sort of span out from there thanks to this documentary. So there's a little band of Southampton fans from this documentary that I find particularly interesting too. Yeah, and one of whom is a, a podcasting compatriot, you know, in Matt Markstone. Um, yeah, he does the yeah. Southampton Delivery podcast. Really lovely guy. He's been on this podcast before as well. He popped over to my house and we did an episode together when he came to visit. And it, you know, it's fascinating. We've we've gone through that story with him before on this this podcast, and it is it's crazy, isn't it? I remember speaking to him and just thinking, "Wow, how how have you been the guy ending up doing the Southampton podcast? You know, all the way over there in California." So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, that is one to seek out definitely. Um, Quite quite intrigued by that, Carl. I, I'm going to go and have a look for that. So we're going to move on onto the actual football. So there, there we go. I think we've already covered 17 minutes of lockdown and books and stories. <laughs> so let's get into actual football. And we've brought back uh, the Premier League. Project Restart has happened. Um, I imagine lots of the listeners are going through this kind of process with work of working out how do they bring back customers or... In my case, how do we bring students back onto our campus? And everyone's kind of trying to work out what does their work look like as we start to ease the lockdown. You've uh, been going, well, you've gone to one of the games. We had a little chat before and you've gone to St. Mary's, but you haven't gone to the away games yet. But but Carl, what's it like being in the lockdown stadium? How is it different? Before we get into the Arsenal match, I want to hear your your match day experience of of the lockdown (laughs) stadium. Uh, so uh, on match day, so you, ahead of, you basically, you know, you, you apply for your accreditation and whatnot, uh, as per usual. Uh, and then, uh, ahead of time, you are handed emails over a, a, a COVID test, um, and on, and you're not allowed to fill that out until the day of the game. So you, what you do is you say yes, no, have you encountered any symptoms? Have you been, you know, encounter any person that may have displayed any symptoms yes 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 no you send that over on the day of um everyone has very set timings as to when you can arrive to the stadium and you have set entrances uh i was late for mine <laughs> so uh you journalists are loud in in batches and you i arrive at st mary's pretty much through the same entrance that i normally do so not quite the press entrance but it's like a little turnstile quite near the ted Bates statue that I walk into, uh, I have to wear a mask at all times. So when I get, I first I go through the car park bit, I get my temperature taken. I've got a 36 degrees, bang on, way. Um, when I entered. Do, you, do, do some of the journalists do a kind of football celebration at that point? Like, Oh yeah, yeah of course. Shirt over the head. Why always me? I don't know. <laughs> um, so you get there, you get around there. You're, you're, I'm wearing a mask at all times once you arrive at St. Mary's. Um, you get your temperature taken again. You are St. Mary's, Southampton give you a bottle of water and whatnot. Uh, and off you pop, up into your seat. The seating area now, so rather than just sit in the press box, it's a 
bit more socially distant, so you take up a little bit more space uh, on that end of, of St. Mary's ground, and uh, off you go. You, you watch the game as, as, as well as you can do. Southampton and Arsenal were both out on the pitch for a lot longer than they would be if there was crowds involved. So normally, if you go to St. Mary's, you turn up maybe an hour before Southampton will maybe pop up for 20, 25 minutes and do a couple of training drills and go back inside. Whereas for this one, I was there for about they were there for about 45 minutes doing training drills, doing sort of pressing techniques and whatnot, which so, I thought was quite interesting. That, that is interesting. So why are, they, why are they happy to do that you know, now in front of no fans, but they're not happy to do it? Like, was, is there stuff there that you wouldn't want the fans to see? Or I'm not sure. I think it might, it might also just be a case of just working off the ring rust because there's such limited time to do that sort of training session where everyone's there. You may as well get in as much as possible, wherever possible. Um, so that that occurred. The game goes on. You have your water break partway through the first half and partway through the second half. You can hear everything and then some in the stadium. Um, there, there are you do feel sort you do feel sort of compelled to not quite be a fan, but just sort of do a polite round of applause during certain moments of time. Yeah, uh, which you know, you sort of get dragged a lot, pulled along with the substitute bench and, and the coaching staff when they are sort of applauding players for doing well. You kind of want to do that yourself. Um, and then after that, there's the sort of socially distanced post-match com- um, press conferences and the interviews. Uh, but you're, you, have to, you have to exit the stadium within the hour at full time. So, uh, which makes things a little bit tricky because you bear in mind if the game is televised, Ralph Hustle and Arteta sort of need to do their interviews for the television broadcasters mm. and then they have to go into another room and then do the interviews for um, Zoom for, for written press. So I sort of had this half and half thing of me going, do I need to leave the stadium right now and run home so I can catch Ralph on Zoom or should I stay in the stadium so you can catch Ralph on Zoom there and then? Um, it was an interesting experience. It's not, it's part, so I've watched, Southampton under 23 games behind closed doors earlier this season. And I've watched Southampton play an under 23 game in St. Mary's in front of you know, 25 people. Um, uh, and yeah, it is. I'm not going to say anything like football without fans is nothing because that definitely was a game of football and it definitely was played at a greater intensity than that under 23 game or, or anything I've seen at youth level. But it is particularly eerie. I, I've always described it a bit like. Um, if you watch television, if you watch football via television with Sky and BT and what, or whatnot, they will always try and make it look as if you're watching a film. Yeah. So they do these slick presentation packages, these slick VTs, these slick highlight things. Whereas when you watch it behind closed doors, you it, it's a bit like watching a play rehearsal because things go wrong, people make their first touches a lot more often, you can overhear people basically doing their line reads to each other. So very often you can hear like a fullback one over that, it's going, give me, give me, give me the ball. Um, you can hear those sort of things that you can imagine if you ever, you know, if you grew up in the theatre or whatever, and you watch the play, do the rehearsal, and people get stuck and go, what's my line again? That happens a lot more when you watch behind closed doors. You can mm. see defenders switch off and then go, what's my line again? And then you hear Jack Stevens go, oi, move! And that sort of happens. Yeah. That's that's interesting. I used to do a lot of DJing and um, you do like DJing nights where there'd be bands playing and there's nothing worse in my mind than the sound check. It's just like the most boring, horrible thing ever. And I wonder if that's kind of, you're almost witnessing the sound check in footballing terms with that. 
Oh yeah, I love it. I think I think everyone's everyone's played everyone's getting to a point where they've played three games now. Yeah. And there it's becoming quite obvious two or three quirks are coming together. Um so there's more than three teams in the league that just have problems attacking. Now, everyone's just a bit slower. They, they, everything's just gone down a gear and notch. Um, a lot of teams are just having a bit of problems trying to score goals at home because teams that play away, you know, the away teams are like, all right, well, we're just going to play like the away team and sit a bit deeper in front of our penalty area and break us down. Uh, and the home team has problems solving that. Um, and also now we're going to see something which one day, you know, I need maybe two or three games to look into a bit further, but you are seeing uh, teams concede goals just after the water break. Yeah. I, Tom and I discussed the water break in the last episode, actually, and, and it's weird in the way it kind of affects the flow of the game. Um, yeah, I it's, it's kind of one of those things that, I, as a fan, I never like seeing my team make a substitution uh, just before defending a corner. <laughs> I kind of feel like, you know, if you're defending a corner, everyone needs to stay on the pitch because, you know, everyone needs to be like sharp and focused on that. And I think sometimes if you change personnel at that, there's a bit of confusion and the attacking team can exploit that. So, you know, the, it makes sense that the water breaks could be doing something similar. Um, I noticed that in Norwich, they had a, a water break just before a Saints corner and it didn't really work out for us because we had quite a lot of momentum at that time. But yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a funny, funny old world, isn't it? And, so are you hearing a lot more of what Ralph is saying? Can you hear him clearly giving instructions or is he trying uh, to tone it down? Or It was particularly interesting. So Ralph apparently was a lot quieter at Arsenal than he was at Norwich, according to some of the journalists that had been to both games. Um, he said, uh, also interesting, Ralph wasn't wearing a baseball cap in the blazing heat. So mm. his son was just constantly getting his eyes and he sort of had his hands over his face. It was very much someone give him a baseball cap. He wears a baseball cap all the time when it's raining. Give him a baseball cap. Um, he does. He does shout a lot. A lot of his uh, direction was directed at a lot of his direction. A lot of his orders were directed towards Michael Obafemi, mm-hmm. um, as they were in the game against Norwich. If you heard it on Sky as well, uh, he I, he described it as making sure he keeps his players online, uh, which is his word for keep for saying switched on. Um, as a sort of thing, I think Ralph is in, is beginning to enjoy lockdown football because of restart games. He's definitely using the water breaks to give extra tactical instruction to his players, and he's mm. definitely using the half time, especially to give them extra impetus on how to press and when to press. Um, and he's beginning to explain two or three things more. Yeah, so I mean, unfortunately, we do have to talk about the game against Arsenal a little bit, but. Um... You know, maybe not. Maybe let's just maybe let's just skip through it. I think everyone watched it. It was dreadful from a Saints point of view. Um, McCarthy's clearance was baffling, and then he kept on. It seemed like he he wanted to give Enketia another chance to to do it again. He kept on seeming to hold on to the ball. I don't know what what that was about. And I felt like maybe if the crowd was there, they'd have been on his back a little bit more. He might have released it a bit quicker. So maybe that was something that that you would have. Uh, Seen a bit of a difference with the crowd. And then the Hoiberg pass, Jack Stevens sliding tackle, free kick, three attempts with the with the McCarthy spill. I don't think there's any creativity to talk about from, from Saints from that game. We just looked like, we found it really difficult to break Arsenal down. And, and I've thought, 
which is quite unusual for Arsenal, that they played very much more like an away team. Um, and they got men behind the ball much more than I normally kind of think of Arsenal doing. So I don't know if you picked up on that at all, but we, really we don't have to talk too much about the football in this game because it was horrible. <laughs> it, it, was, it wasn't a great performance for Southampton. It was very much the, uh, the, the pre-November Southampton when it, you know, Southampton play at home, they play really well for 15 minutes, they get caught, they make a stupid mistake, they, they have loads of sterile possession, they make another stupid mistake, that's the game. Uh, yeah. No great landings from it. We already we already knew that Southampton had weaknesses at right back. We already knew that Southampton perhaps could do another turn back. And we already know that Southampton can be a bit devoid of ideas like when they play at home and a defence is deep. Mm. And, and, and is that the answer? Because a handful of my listener questions are why are we so dreadful at home and why are we so good away? And there's been a bit of a theory that the fans get on the players' back, which doesn't allow them to play the football that Ralph wants, but obviously there were no fans there um, on that case, although, Carl, you you have admitted you were doing your best to cheer at certain points. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, why, why is our home form so bad? Because it's not the fans, or, or is it too early to put that, that theory to bed? Uh, I, I think there is no definitive answer, and I think anything we do say is theory. I broke about this earlier in the season after Southampton lost 4-1 to Chelsea. Uh, and one, the fixture list at the time was just rotten. Southampton played, you know, it, Southampton were playing United, Liverpool, Chelsea. It's like repeated games. And there was a reason why I think that's a re- played a part into why Ralph kept his job after the defeat to Leicester because Southampton knew that the fixture list was going to get a bit kinder going forward. So there's there's one, the fact that the fixture list at the start of the season was particularly unkind. Uh, two, I think the fact that there, there is a, there is or has been previously um, a fan base that have had it hard. So if you look historically, Southampton have won 20 of the last 73 games at home. That is an atrocious home record. That's really that bad, is, isn't it? I mean, this it, is... It's the- not- this is not a good time for Southampton to be flogging season tickets for next season, is it? When you when you're let me, let me, stats like that, Carl. Let me properly quantify this for you because it's one of those numbers that it, it sounds really bad, and then like you, you sort of look at it even further. You're not supposed to lose away that many home games because eventually you're meant to get relegated. Eventually, that sort of form will see you go into the championship and then start improving your home form because you're beating teams of lower quality. The fact that Southampton have managed to have this atrocious home record and staying in the Premier League is you know winning 20 out of 73 home games is both abysmal and also miraculous it, it's a very Southampton thing to do basically <laughs> did, so did, think, does I that think, season that you looked into that great escape season seem more you know more believable when you look at Southampton's current home record and think well hang on they're still in the Premier League Oh yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, the Great Escape is sort of a, okay. That was a one, a sort of one-off, and a lot of that is down to um, injuries to a lot of attacking players and whatnot. And then eventually, Pass comes in and things get better. Whereas this is just continued long-term decline without true penalty. 
Um, and, and it looked as if there was a point part way through the season where Southern were going to finally succumb, you know, give up the ghost and finally succumb to this terrible home fall. But no, they're, they're going to keep on ticking. Um, so I think I think the home crowd. I don't I don't want to say the home crowd gets on players' backs, but I think the home crowd has been browbeaten by this terrible home form, and it creates this sort of difficult situation when Southampton play at home in front of a crowd where the team is nervous because they're going, oh god, we're playing at home and we're really bad at home. The away team, especially, know what's going on, and very much in the classic English style of football, the away team just tends to sit back a bit and tends to be a bit more reserved. And Southampton, as a team, they're really good when they win the ball high up the pitch, and they really want to get the team, they really want to score in transition. So one of the key things about Tassel is he says, if you can get a shot off within 10 seconds of winning the ball, you have a higher chance of scoring. You can't really do that if you're playing at home because the away team goes, you can have the ball, we're going to sit back. So what you get is this quite annoying system where Southampton's attackers aren't the most gifted dribblers. Nathan Redmond aside, perhaps. Like, Danny's can do it in five-yard sprints, and Redmond's can do it, but he's kind of inconsistent. So what you've got there is you've got James Will-Prowse who wants to pass the ball, Hoiberg who wants to pass the ball, Armstrong wants to pass the ball, Shane Long who wants to shoot, and that's pretty much it. And Danny Ings who can dribble a bit, but mostly wants to shoot, and Redmond who can dribble, but is inconsistent. So if you drop back, what you get is what you had that thing against Arsenal, where Arsenal just stood in front of the penalty area and went, break us down. So, and Southampton didn't really have an idea. And then that's one reason why they struggle at home. And, and this is the trick that Ralph has to solve, right? He's signed up for a four-year deal and he's going to have to, he's going to have to figure that out, isn't he? And, but do you think that's, you think that's more of a personnel thing than a, than a tactical thing? And the fact that we just haven't got, you know, let's say Tadic used to do that for us or Lalana before Tadic used to do that for us, be that, that kind of bit of trickery, that that kind of player who can unlock a solid defence. Yeah, I, th- I think things are, uh, things look a little bit better in the last game, but again, that, that's because they played away from home. Mm. There, well, there are there are no real. I mean, Ralph calls his wide players number ten because eventually they pinch inside and then players an orthodox number ten. But of them, Redmond's more of a dribbler than an orthodox number ten. And Armstrong is maybe more of an orthodox box-to-box number eight midfielder. So you do get to that one, you know, there you, you could use someone with a little bit extra guile. Well, do, well, let, let's talk about the Watford game now, because this was a lot of fun if you're a Southampton fan. And let's talk about that number 10 position, because I could probably argue that Danny Ng's first goal was a little bit number 10-ish. Is, is there an argument for that? Or am I just barking up the wrong tree there? Kind of. So in, after the game, Ings gave an interview to Sky Sports and he said they studied the footage and he and he knew Watford would have space in a number 10 position. So that's where he was trying to stand. But I'd say what, what was really interesting about Southampton was um, Kyle Walker-Peters. So Kyle Walker-Peters came in at right back and he, throughout the game, constantly get, wanted to get on the ball and wanted to get forward and gun overlaps and basically keep working outside of Will Smallbone, who was working on the right-hand side instead of Armstrong. Walker-Peters were getting up and down the pitch with such authority, basically Smallbone managed to drift further and further inside and work as more orthodox number 10, mm. which really helped. And again, this is one of those things that you can do this when you play away from home because there's just a lot more space. 
in behind because Watford, as the home team, are supposed to be the ones doing all the attacking. So what you had there was there, there's a particular goal, and I've written about this just now in the Athletic. There's a goal that Dennings has scored against Watford and against Norwich now, where it, the ball will start on the left hand side, and then it will ping all the way out to the number ten on the right hand side. So it'll be Armstrong or Will Smallbone, and then that player will then pass it directly forward to Danny Ings, who should be stood in on the 10 position, and then he'll have a shot from outside the box. You can do that away from home. That's a lot harder to do at home, where that sort of space in a number 10 position is going to be filled by a centre-back. Yeah, and, and, and I see that, and there's a lot of similarities between that goal and the, the Norwich goal that he got. Um, and I also thought this goal was testament to the changes that Ralph brought in because you think Romeo's won the ball back he's given it to Vestergaard he's distributed it well I mean it was a simple pass to Smallbone then Smallbone is also in the team instead of Armstrong then manages to pick out um, Danny Ings with that just I, I think he had seven Watford players around him and he still managed to kind of <laughs> carve out the space uh, shoot from about 20 yards out with enough power pace and accuracy to, to put it beautifully in, in that bottom corner it was lovely beautiful bit of bit of business really um and then I, I suppose with Smallbone's kind of influence in that it was interesting to see that at half time Smallbone came off and Armstrong went on I mean I, I thought it was interesting that we started with Smallbone and not Armstrong so I don't know if that was always in the plan to to do that half time change because I thought Armstrong has been so good for Southampton you know both sides of the lockdown I thought he's had a brilliant game against Norwich and he was brilliant before the lockdown so we saw Armstrong coming in. Was that? Do you think that was something to do with the Carl Walker Peters stuff? Did he want him to see him playing alongside him and seeing if that that balances right? Possibly. Yeah, Ralph has also spoken a bit about Stuart Armstrong and his tendency to get muscu- muscular injury. Okay. So Armstrong, Armstrong plays. Uh, he plays seven bells football, shall we say? <laughs> so he he's, he's very he's very physical. He likes a tackle. He, he can really hit the ball quite hard. Um, he doesn't shirk the nasty stuff, which means Armstrong very often, you bear in mind, he got concussed in one of the opening minutes versus West Ham. Mm-hmm. He uh, has had two or three ankle injuries this season as well. Um, so there's, Ruff definitely wants to use Armstrong more as this wide forward who gets inside and works in number 10. But also I think Ralph wants to preserve Armstrong where possible. Um, Al Smallbone... I don't. Yeah, you know, Ralph also agreed. Smallbone's best position isn't on the right hand side, but I think he wants to use Smallbone as a bit of an option on the right, especially against some of the more physical teams. Because I, I don't think Smallbone can quite play as a double six or the central midfielder in a in a more in a, against the more physical opposition yet. Yeah. Okay. I think you might have answered <clears> one of our kind of listener questions from from later, so we'll see that. Let, let's get on to Danny Ings' second goal. Um, Foster got kind of slated for this, but I thought this was actually just really smart from Danny Ings to kind of pick that throw out of the air with his right foot and then just charge towards the goal. I mean, if you if you're talking about goalkeeping errors, Foster's error here was nothing. It was nowhere near McCarthy's error against Arsenal. And I, no, thought, it, I thought this was all about Ings rather than about Foster. It wasn't disastrous from Foster. It, it was. I think that the the commentary said it well. It's because oh, this is a mistake. From Foster, can Danny Danny's can do it now, uh, and I think the commentary after the goal basically encapsulated what's going on. 
because Foster, were, you know, it was of all the people Foster could have thrown the ball to, he shouldn't have thrown it to Danny Ings. No, I that's, think that's if, a if bad throw, idea, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, if he if he had made that mistake in throwing it towards uh, Stuart Armstrong or Nathan Redmond, that isn't so much a guaranteed goal. No disrespect to those players, but when you when you look at the numbers and you look at the form Danny Ings is in now, that goal takes him to 18 goals for the season. That goal makes that puts him number two in the Golden Boot race. He's now the highest goal scorer if you take away penalties in the league. The guy's hotter than fish grease. <laughs> and how hot is fish grease then, Carl? It's so hot. Do not mess with fish grease. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's been an absolute joy to watch this season and he looks like he's really enjoying his football. Like the, you, you feel the warmth and pleasure just, just from watching. It gives you a warm feeling inside watching Danny Ings if you're a Southampton fan. So then, you know, he's had this wonderful season in the Premier League and to get two goals against Portsmouth in Fratton Park, it, it's, it's the most beautiful season for a boy who grew up near Southampton. You know, he's got a brick in St. Mary's Stadium. Daniel Ings, age eight or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, so so for a, a proper Southampton fan to have a season like that, this this is this is the childhood dream that all of us Southampton fans. Danny Ings is living it right now. He's on top of the world, and long may it continue. He, he just seems so happy and smiling now in his press conferences. He explains stuff. It's great. And uh, is is that the best twenty million pound buy in the Premier League this season? Struggling to think about. I'm struggling to think about in terms of twenty quid to get you eighteen goals of the season, which you know, and the amount of points Danning's goals have now been worth. It's uh, oh god, he's amazing, isn't he? Yeah, if you were twenty twenty happening, he'd be he'd be in the squad. And I think when you're twenty twenty does come along, he I think he's definitely. I'd say right now he is the of the available English strikers. He's he's the third choice, and he should probably be second choice because Harry Kane isn't Harry Kane anymore. Mm. It's funny, actually, because if you look at Danny Ings' first goal, that was more Harry Kane than what Harry Kane's doing, isn't it? It was a very Harry Kane goal. Um, so it's, it's... it was hard, low, with top spin to the bottom corner. Very, very English-style finish, which apparently the, the Southampton team is beginning to work on now in coaching staff and they're finishing. Okay, yeah, well, that, that's good. Um I mean, I don't know how you teach. It almost feels like that should be instinctive, but Ings definitely has it. Um, let's not talk about the Bednarek own goal. <laughs> um, you know, he, he had a clearance against Arsenal that just went wide of the post. This time he wasn't so lucky. Um, I think he has to try and make the block. And, you know, it, I was a bit worried that Watford could get back into it, having not really been in the game for 80 minutes. But... Um, Adams, I think, did really well to draw the foul from Dawson on the edge of the area. And then we've got another really wonderful goal to talk about, Carl. James Ward-Prowse was... Like, you can't do a free kick more perfect than that, can you? From that position, with that rain, the wall, that, you know, the up and down in such a short space of time. No, it's wonderful. It's his sixth goal now from a free kick for Southampton. So now the only person who scored more is... Matt Letizia, who I, I want to say has seven. And what's really remarkable about Ward Prowse's free kick technique is even when he doesn't score, he's still getting on target. They're so, they're so consistent in how he gets the ball up and under and how he applies himself and the technique he uses that worst come to worst, he's going to make the keeper work. And when you can get that from a free kick taker, happy days. 
Yeah, it's, it was just beautiful. And it's funny because I watched the highlights back f- for that game and that kind of rain shower which came in was was just absolutely brutal, wasn't it? And it's funny that it came during that time and, and you thought kind of Foster probably was looking at it thinking this is going to be hard to stop anyway because you know, he'll probably get it on target and the ball's going to be greasy. But in the end, he set himself all wrong for where James Ward-Prowse put it and um, absolutely loved it. I think the only last thing that... Well, there's probably two more things that are worth mentioning from a Southampton point of view in this game was the Che Adams chance and then the Ralph <laughs> screaming from the sidelines <laughs> and then the, oh. And you can just see that all the Southampton coaching staff are so desperate for him to get his goal. Um, and then Redmond nearly scored an absolute worldie, hitting the bottom of the post. Um, che Adams, uh, I felt so sorry for him. I really felt like, you know, that that was that was a really good moment, and I thought it was going in as well. Can't wait. You can't it's wait. Be great. I, I can't wait for when Shams finally gets to go. It was quite nice. I, it, I mean, Danny Ings looked disappointed. Uh, Nathan Redmond sort of went up to Shea after the shot, grabbed him, and pulled his chin up and, and, and patted him on the back and went, "Just keep going." I think that's that's one of the big goals now. There's six games left, and uh, Shea Adam getting his first Southampton goal is going to be one of the big games. I feel from from my in my eyes, given the start against Manchester City, can't hurt. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there may be a shout there. So, I mean, this this kind of brings me on to my listener questions, and um, this is this is one from uh, Professor Simon Kemp. He's uh, an award winning professor from Southampton University. He's been on the podcast before. He was wondering if we should be building up the fringe players who are suffering from confidence um, and not just introducing the ad- the academy players. So he particularly brings out like making Chairdoms the focal point of attack, asking should we be giving Danso game time, Buffal a free role to suit his playing time, play, you know, Kyle Walker-Peters in every match to see if he's worth buying. What do you think of those ideas, Carl? I've, I've kind of, in my head, I've got like a yes, no... <laughs> No, and yes. So, Southampton hit 40 points now. It's the yeah. first time they've done that in three seasons, which is a remarkable stat in itself. They're also not too far off Sheffield United, so I think it's a balancing act right now. I definitely want to see Kyle Walker-Peters play right back for the, the rest of these games where possible and sort of see how good he is because Kyle Walker-Peters is one of the strangest players in the Premier League right now. There's just, there's just not enough sample size, be it at under 23 level or at senior level to know how good he is. So uh, I want to see as much of him as possible. I think at the moment, the way Southampton's defence is set up, with Jack Stevens currently suspended, you should continue with Benerek and Vestergaard, unfortunately. Um, Ke- Kevin we'll Denso, clearly his line's not going to be continued, right? That was, uh, that was an experiment that hasn't worked. I think the idea that Danza was whether or not he could adapt to the four two 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 system and unfortunately I don't think anyone saw Jack Stevens coming in and offering that much you know, what he has done to to, to the back four. Um, I could maybe see Danzo get some game time in the last two games. I think that game against Bournemouth might be particularly interesting as well. But I think Danzo's game time might be twenty minute half hour subs rather than a start. Um, and then the rest of it, I would definitely see more small bone where possible, and I would definitely like to see Shea Adams start at least two of the next six games. Yeah, 
Uh, and what about Bufal giving Bufal a free roll? I mean, I, th- I I kind of think that we're never really going to have a free roll in the Ralph Hasenhutl system. You are not. The Ralph Hasenhutl system has no time for free rolls. And I'm going to be really mean here. I do not see where this fascination with Bufal comes from. He's a good dribbler. He'd be fantastic at five-a-side, but I don't think there's enough there in Bufal to qualify him for a free role in a system that requires such hard work. Yeah. Sorry, I said it. Um, Bufal is a, a divider of the Saints fan base, certainly. Um, I've noticed that both my dad and my father-in-law don't like him. Um, but I think, you know, the the older generation of Saints fans perhaps like more no-nonsense players, and Bufal is very much a nonsense player. Um, you know, that... And I've seen some of the younger fans really, really love him. And they wax lyrical about that goal against West Brom. But why wouldn't you? Because it was a wonderful goal. So, um, you know, I th- like Bufal, he's got magic, but he seems inconsistent. He seems to have poor decision making under pressure. Um, Will Smallbone, you mentioned there. Is, is he one for the future or do you think he's too fragile for the Premier League? Because certainly it seems like Saints think he could be one for the future. I don't want to say fragile. I want to say he's 20. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think there is a, in American sport, there's this concept of, um, you basically, you thicken out. Uh, you know, you, you get, you get into the American sports league when, when you, you do your time in college and then you have your sort of second maturation two or three seasons in. Right? And uh, I think you're going to see that with Smallbone. I think he is a fantastic player. I think he's really neat and tight and ball. He, he did two or three passes against Watford that, are just very uncommon for Southampton. He did a little switch mm. all the way to Bertrand on the third, I want to say the 39th minute. And I remember watching the television going, wow. Not because it, it, it was a, a remarkable pass, but because it was just simply a pass that just doesn't happen at Southampton often enough of a player, you know, taking the ball forward, assessing these options, going, this isn't going to work, and then switching it immediately rather than passing it to Benderak. You can then pass to Stevens. You can then pass to Biscayne. No, I'm going to cut out the middle and get to Bertrand ASAP. Yeah. Um, that was really, really nice. Yeah. Um, and that, that's kind of what this particular listener picks out is those beautiful passes. And that's something worth having. You know, and maybe that's also the other thing about that question of unlocking defences at home. Having someone who can switch play like that quickly and effectively is such an important weaponry to have in your arsenal. Yeah, I think it's going to be. A, I think he's going to be a value Southampton asset, and I think he can only get better. Uh, and I think the stuff that I'm reserved about are things that Ralph is going to work on. So sort of positioning and how he plays into this four-two-two-two, and also the stuff of just he's 20 years of age. So he, he'll 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 go to the gym, he'll get his protein shakes, uh, and a bit a little bit like young James Woodhouse, he will develop the necessary physical attributes to go with that wonderful technical quality of his. Yeah, and and he he didn't he shouldn't feel too bad because as a thirty five year old male, I can tell him the thickening out just continues on and on and on <laughs> as you get older. Uh, yeah, I'm beginning to thicken out now. Yeah. Uh, in a lack of in a lack of gym. <laughs> oh, I've uh, I, I'm on a new regime as I discussed with Tom last week to try and lose the lockdown gain, but um, yeah, it's going quite well. Two weeks. I'm just, in. I'm going to live in mine. You know what? No, I'm just going to live in mine. You're going to live with yours. I'll go back. 
I'm going to live with mine. I'll go back maybe in 2021. But you, for now, I'm, I'm just going to live with it. You're a slightly younger man than me, Carl. So I think, you know, you might be able to lose it a bit quicker than me. Um, uh, we had a quick question about... Um, we're kind of going into to listener questions now. Some of these are a little bit more off off piece from what we've been talking about already. Uh, Premier League title payouts from transfers of Virgil Van Dijk, Sadio Mane, etc. Are we getting a, a windfall with Liverpool winning the league now? I keep getting this question. I asked Ralph this, and he threw his head into his hands. Um, so I said, Ralph, sorry, I'm going to ask you another question about Liverpool, and he sort of went, Oh no, put his head into his hands. Do you know he's getting any money? And he said he didn't know. So he doesn't know, but if it happens, he's going to be it's going to be a welcome surprise. I am talking to necessary people who would know. Um, but from my, I've talked to people on the Liverpool side, and I've talked to people on um, the Southampton side now, including Ralph. And it might just simply be a case of no one can remember. <laughs> yeah, there, there'll be a so, contract uh, in a in a filing cabinet somewhere in St Mary's that will have that answer. Yeah. Yeah, can you can you imagine the person who sort of bought took Lallana to Liverpool uh, and sort of signed the clause, understood that that might happen in the foreseeable future? Yeah. Who knows? And even then, does that sort of apply with Lallana regarding the short term extension he's just had? So, who knows? Um, who knows? I am going to try and find out for you. Okay, um, a few questions. Like Edward Marsh is asking about the transfer policy and whether we can go any further. Um, James White is also asking about um, the right back and Valerie and Carl Walker Peters and uh, James Penton. Um, you know, saying he had a shiver down his spine when he saw Vestergaard replacing Stevens, who who would choose to kind of strengthen our centre back pairing. And uh, Raziel also talking about the transfer window. Thoughts on some of our links. So lots of people interested in the transfer window, especially around the defensive positions. I think Carl Walker-Peters, we just need to yeah increase that sample size, see if he's worth signing. Is centre-back still a priority for us, do you think? I mean, Vestergaard got a pretty good performance yesterday, didn't he? Vestergaard did. Um, Vestergaard is very much like Ben Nirak and and very much like Jack Stevens in that if you keep the football in front of him, He's a good defender, but the moment he has to turn around and run towards his own goal, something's gone wrong. And and Southampton are in a lot of trouble. If Vestergaard wishes to stay, I think he could be a valued second option. I think Ben Nirek and Stevens is the, is the preferred centre-back pairing right now. I think it's the best centre-back pairing right now. I think Ben Nirek works as a sort of stopper and Stevens is the, is the more expansive passer and he's the one that yells at everyone to stand where they need to stand. So I think that works. And I think anyone now is is very hard to pass because anyone who pretends they know what's going to happen in the transfer market is a liar right now. I'll say this on this podcast right now because you just bear in mind we've just gone 100 days when no one played football. So every single football club was losing money. Uh, a number of football clubs took wage deferrals. So you bear in mind some of them the very first club to take wage deferrals. Uh, as I'm, I'm sorry to bring up Liverpool on the Southampton podcast, but as a person around Liverpool said, it's quite hard to bring someone in to spend a lot of money on transfer fees to bring someone in and then pay them a certain wage when you just told your entire first team to take a certain money off their wage to look after everyone else. So uh, I wouldn't want to make any big predictions for the transfer market at the moment. There are certain players that Southampton have definitely been connected to in the past, 
Um, and I am investigating if those connections are going to continue now, this, you know, regardless of the COVID links. And we know for a fact that Pierre Hoiberg is unlikely to remain at Southampton past the summer. And Ralph has confirmed that some Premier League clubs have made known their interest in Hoiberg. So we know that much as well. But in terms of Southampton have this much money to spend or Southampton want to buy these four players, no one knows. I doubt people at Southampton know yet themselves. I suppose kind of one of the questions in terms of Southampton's transfer policy, are we likely to get a central defender better than Stevens, Bednarek, Vestergaard from the sort of money that we're likely to spend? Listen to my voice. Maybe. Okay. So, so there is def- there is there is definitely a young there is definitely the sort of young player with recovery speed that Ralph can mould into a better centre back than the centre backs currently on Southampton's books. And I think that I think that was possibly what was going on with Kevin Danzo in sort of this is a you know, Kevin Danzo is six foot three, he's pretty quick, he's pretty good on the ball, he's got a good throw in on him, and he's he's got a lot of very good raw attributes there. And I think what happened was Ralph went, maybe I can teach this guy how I need him to play football in enough time that he's got me worth it in this first team. Because if you look at the stuff Danzo's good at, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think what happened is perhaps Ralph, especially the way the fixture list went on and the, and the, you know, the start of the season, perhaps Ralph didn't have enough time to go to Kevin one-on-one and go, this is what I need you to do in to get Danzo up to speed as quickly as possible. I think there's definitely space there for another centre-back of that sort of archetype, of a sort of young, pacey, tall centre-back who can do that sort of stuff and do that sort of recovery run and do that sort of thing. Oh, no, I have to run towards my own goal and make a tackle and do that better than Jack Stevens and do that better than Ben Rapp with that cross. Okay. I think you can get that sort of player out there for, let's say, 15 million. Okay. Um, who that person is? I will find out. <laughs> okay, well, that kind of sounds a bit like a watch this space and maybe keep following what you're putting out on The Athletic. Um, I'll keep a keen eye on that. What, one of the other kind of common questions which I've had from uh, my brother uh, James and I think Ed uh, is another listener um, and a few others about kind of like what, where, where are we going to go with Ralph like what's the realistic ambition some of it is kind of this season do we push up the table now can we get into European football and some of it is more just generally what what's the what's the target for Ralph is it Europa League football the kind of yeah. four-year target yeah I think I think Europa League is definitely an objective of Ralph I think Southampton and the way Ralph talks about Southampton he definitely believes that team his team as it is right now has enough personnel in it to be a top half team. So at the start of the season, I said Southampton were good enough to finish 12th, and I'm I'm going to stick with that at the moment. Uh, you, we've asked Ralph now what's the ambition, and he said 24 points. And he, he sort of keeps joking that like the the objective is to win every single game that they have left. Because why not? Why would you not want to try and win every single game? He's going to. I think the the way he described Man City is he's going to treat that as a free hit. But yeah, I, I genuinely think the the objective is to win every game as possible in the next couple of games, then spend the very, very short preseason 
I, be, I doubt the player's going to have time off in this mm. preseason. So I, I think he's going to spend this time to just further perfect the way he wants to play football, further perfect that sort of SFC playbook that he's been working on during lockdown and take it forward. And then in the next four years, he absolutely wants to be in EuroLeague. He's been reported in, in German newspapers saying the aim is to one day be in the, I like the fact he calls it the EuroLeague. Um, it, you know, he, he very much wants Southampton to be a European contending team. And I think he has personal ambitions to be in that competition once again. Um, because he's only been here once, and that was because basically Leipzig weren't that good in their Champions League group stage. Mm. Um, so I think I think he'd really enjoy it, that sort of thing. And I think I think Ralph Ralph now you can all, the interesting thing with Ralph is every month he basically starts using Van Wart more than any others, and one he's constantly one he's using quite often now is consistency. And I think that's the thing for him right now is he wants to get Southam to a consistent point because when this team is consistent, they can be eighth, ninth, tenth in the league. Yeah, no question. Okay, well, so it's, that's something for us to look forward to then. Um, and I think that makes sense. I mean, we 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 tasted that with Pochettino, we tasted that with uh, um, Ronald Koeman and Claude Puel. Say that uh, absolutely makes sense that that's kind of where we should be aiming for because it felt really good during those times. Um, I've got a question from Marlon and Caroline, kind of both kind of but broadly on, on the same sort of side of things. So you've experienced going to a stadium in lockdown and with a kind of global pandemic. Uh, Marlon's a little bit kind of pessimistic. He's worried about us actually ever being able to get back to the stadiums before, you know, even 2021. And Caroline um, is wondering, you know, if the government deems it safe, safe enough to allow fans back in the stadium, you know, what, what would you'd expect the club to do to keep everyone as safe as possible? Like, I, I guess kind of the first question is, do you think it's possible? And then wh- what are we going to do? How, what does that look like? Do you have quarter of the... the I am not a medical expert. I am not a medical expert, so I'm not going to theorise anything. Yeah. Um, right there. I, it, 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 these are, I call walking days, these are unprecedented times. And... I think everyone in and around football and in and around government and health organisations wants to find a way to bring everything closer to quote-unquote normality, if only for the financial numbers, mm. really. Right? It, it's in... Let's make no mistake, I'm, I'm going to take my journalistic hat off, my football journalist hat off for a little bit and, and speak as a sort of concerned citizen who's been spending like the last hundred days in a flat by himself there are the the, the health reasons for the when you look at why we're playing football right now i would not say they are safe to, to be playing football in, the, in these sort of conditions i say we are playing football more as a financial obligation to a number of interested parties so a number of football clubs not only in the premier league but also down the football period need to keep playing football in order to sustain themselves there's also a number of broadcasters and a number of people in and around football that require football to continue going on so they can also keep their lights on. And that's why we're doing these games and that's why we're going to keep going on. In terms of football as a... This is Project Restart and whatnot are very much football as a necessity. That's why it's buying closed doors. That's why we're doing water breaks. That's why we've got five substitutions. That's why you can maybe put an asterisk on Liverpool's title. We're doing this because we have to do this because it got too unsustainable to not do this. Um, when we get to a point where football is more sustainable, I have absolutely no idea. Um, I can only hope it's going to come back 
in the next six or seven months because it'd be really nice to to go to St Mary's again and hear the brass band and to see you face to face, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've like pinned all my hopes on this um, Oxford University vaccine trial. Like, I don't think there's ever been such an eagerly awaited result from a vaccine trial before. Like, you know, from that global perspective. Um, and it's it's very strange, isn't it? You know, my my son's back in school because he's in the reception year, and you know they're doing that really brilliantly at school, and they're they're managing it really well. But where we're living in West Devon, we've not had a new COVID case for well over a month. Um, but then you look at Leicester, where they've had what was it six hundred new or eight hundred new cases in the space of two weeks? So. It's very strange, yeah. I think if I went and watched my local village football team, the risks would be pretty low. But if you go and watch Leicester City, the risks are going to be pretty high. Um, so I was in know. a weird position where I sort of thought going to St Mary's was safer for me. It was safer for me to go to St Mary's and watch 22 people clattering to each other for nine minutes than it was for me to go to as the supermarket. Mm. And uh, and this is this, this is the very strange time we live in. They they just we're constantly try, having to square very odd circles in our lives and trying to decide what is or isn't um, worthwhile, shall we say? Yeah, and it it is funny that isn't it? Because I, I guess with the Premier League, they've got all the spotlight on them. Everyone's going to be watching what they're doing, and so they're going to be super tight on it. And I've noticed my son when he goes to school, they're managing it really really well. And then the other day we went out for a walk in the countryside and we just parked up and there was another couple of cars there and people were greeting each other. And he looked at them and he was like, Daddy, is the bug gone? Because he watched them, (laughs) you know, they're behaving not how we've been behaving because, you know, they're they're feeling more relaxed about it or whatever. Um, And it's it's just a very, very strange, strange world we're living in. So Marlon and Caroline, I don't think we can answer this question and we just hope for something approaching normality as soon as possible. Um, a, a friend of mine who lives in the village here, he's a Hearts fan, and he was saying, like, John, seriously, if I had to queue for three hours, two metres apart to go and watch a football live football match, I would do it. And I think there's a lot of football <laughs> fans out there who are just desperate for it to happen, you know, and would, would go through whatever measures they had to to, to be there because people are really, really missing it. Um, so, you know, good to have it back on the television. The way we've managed to, to deal with it in our household is we now do a kind of family Zoom call with us all simultaneously watching the match together so we can chat about it together. Uh, That's quite nice. Um, very good. Yeah, we learned that Sky have blocked Now TV so you can't just share your screen for the people that haven't bothered <laughs> subscribing to Now TV. Very clever. Um, and also that the internet is a little bit faster in Bristol than it is in my house, but we kind of knew that anyway because my brother was about 10 seconds ahead of me in the in the uh, the game against Arsenal so that was weird but classic yeah um I think I've covered most of the listener questions I've had a really nice email from uh, Jason in Northern Ireland which I haven't really got through and I just want to thank everyone for um messaging and because it's always great to hear from our listeners saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com we'll pick up some of the other topics in our next episode but Carl I've had you on the phone for over an hour now which means I probably need to let you go pretty soon we haven't had a chance to talk about our next fixtures um we've got Man City at home uh, you know you mentioned that, that that's kind of a free hit uh then we've got Everton away then we've got Manchester United which I've put in brackets is the Carl Anker derby um 
you know, a lot of people have asked me, how, how much do you love Southampton now, now that you've spent nearly a season with us? Are we your second team now, Carl? Oh, I think I think that's beyond question. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I even get like I get really happy when Southampton aren't on last when it's match of the day. Yeah. It's it's a tiny thing. When Southampton aren't on last match of the day, I make that makes me happy. Sweet when Sky says, Yeah, when Southampton when Sky says I'm playing a four four two, I get annoyed. Uh I do get annoyed now when I'm watching Sky coverage and they spend so much time talking about Arsenal and nothing. I'm like, talk about Southampton for the love of God. Well Carl, that's that's uh, what you're here for. That is what I'm here for. So Keep reading the athletic, and uh, let's enjoy the uh, the rest of the season while we still can. Yeah. Um, one last thing from a listener: uh, William says, "Tell him from me that I just think he's lovely," and I'm sure that's a sentiment that many of our listeners have. Carl, that seems like a really good place to to end the episode. I think just that you're lovely. Um, we're really pleased to have you back on the podcast. Really pleased to see Saints winning again. Um, let's forget the Arsenal game. We might have to forget the Man City game, which. You know, just one little footnote on this. I'm really scared that Man City games might be the most watched Premier League football match ever, and we could get humiliated. It's gonna, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be Shea on the BBC, Adams. isn't it? Shea Adams is gonna score. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. Okay, you heard yeah. it here. Right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners, um, wherever you are, however you've been listening to it, uh, it's been great to have you all listen again. Carl and I are going to say cheerio for now and you're going to hear some real crowd noise just to kind of make you feel nostalgic. Say cheerio, everyone.